Tearing Down Walls, a Sunshine Life podcast with your host, Sylvia Cunningham. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Tearing Down Walls, Sunshine Live's monthly transatlantic show. I'm Sylvia Cunningham. Today, we're talking about abortion rights on both sides of the Atlantic. In the U.S., what it could mean if the landmark court decision Roe v. Wade is overturned. In Germany, how the way the law is written affects people seeking care. We're putting the spotlight today on what journalists, a doctor, and proponents of abortion rights have to say about the realities in both countries. But first, we'll kick off our show as we always do by talking with a DJ. Today, we welcome New Haven-based artist Jen Orlando, known as Gentleman. She co-hosts the Noi Body radio show on our partner station, WNHU, at the University of New Haven. She is also a social worker in Connecticut. So, Jen, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. We talked with Anthony Mayovi at the beginning of the year, who is also part of the Noi Body Collective. He described New Haven as a rock town and that this collective of electronic artists formed because there was safety in numbers. You are originally from Connecticut. Growing up, how did you find your music scene and carve out your style? I think I listened to a lot of bad techno initially. <laughs> um, because I just like didn't know like it was just something that I really craved and I actually started um, started off at the radio station at UConn University of Connecticut they had CDJs they had turntables too it was a really great resource so I just started there and um, a friend of mine gave me the very basic like lowdown on just like beat matching and mixing you mentioned listening to a lot of bad techno what do you now define as the bad stuff versus the stuff you now listen to, which I assume is the good stuff? It's just a matter of personal preference, of course, but I feel like I was probably circling around what I think now is like solid techno, and then it just like took more time to actually discover like what I liked. And a lot of that was actually just like going to the roots of techno. Even like I remember graduating college and like going to the movement festival in like 2009 when it was like $50 for a weekend pass and like hearing Carl Craig and just like, okay, understanding like the roots and where it comes from and um, getting my first like synthesizer and drum machine and like understanding like the classic techno sounds, which is very much so like a part of me and something that I love, even though I also like more noisy, newer, and like industrial techno stuff too, and like more experimental stuff. How would you describe today the vibe of the parties that you throw? I think like my love of labor, so to say, is our heat sink party, which is final only that me and Tony do together. And it's really um, dedicated to kind of like 90s acid and contemporary acid too. And I feel like for once in my life, I just like really nailed a sound that I really enjoy just to listen to, but also share with others and also like collect. I still love like 303 acid bass lines. It's like really prominent in the stuff that I make too. So it's kind of like ravey and silly. Like it like plays on this line between like silly, but also like can be like kind of heavy at times too. Shifting gears now to a heavier topic, today's show is going to center on abortion rights. You were previously working to educate and counsel teens on reproductive health, body autonomy, consent. 
In light of recent developments, what's been going through your mind? How does this debate make you feel? Um, it's just really, really heavy. It's such a complicated topic, like, I guess, from my perspective and being a bit tapped into like social policy, it's like really disappointing, but I guess not so much of a surprise given like the political climate here in the US. And I think like some people may have had the impression that like things would be better when Biden was like <laughs> is in office. But I think that was like very much wishful thinking. And it's like really disappointing for a lot of people. And for some more context, you're a social worker who just finished your master's. So you're at the start of this chapter of your career. And having worked with teens before, what's the message or base understanding that you try to get across about reproductive rights? When I was working with teens, I think it was really just like empowering them to ask for what they need. And if they don't know what they need, then like maybe they're not ready to do something or to ask questions. It's such a like fragile population where I remember I was a teen and like I didn't have access to so much information and I had questions. I even had like intense fear about becoming pregnant, like preteen, because I actually didn't know like as someone with like a uterus of like how to prevent pregnancy. And like that's terrible. That's terrible to like have that fear just because like you don't feel comfortable or you don't have the resources to like actually learn about your own body. I just think about like the message that is sent to to people with uteruses to trans people, right? Like these are connected issues about having a right to what you want to do with your body. Jen Orlando, known as Gentleman, is a DJ and co-host of Noi Body on our partner radio station, WNHU. Thanks again for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Tearing Down Walls is a co-production of Sunshine Life and college radio station WNHU. 88.7 FM, out of West Haven. In the coming weeks, we're expecting a Supreme Court decision that will determine the future of abortion rights in the United States. In early May, a draft of a majority opinion leaked to Politico indicated Roe v. Wade would be overturned. That's the 1973 decision that protects a woman's right to an abortion in the U.S., which hinged on a person's constitutional right to privacy. But the conversation around access to abortion is also making headlines in Germany, where the government is deciding whether to remove some restrictions related to abortion care. Joining me from Berlin to discuss all this is Miriam Lentz. She is an investigative reporter for the nonprofit Correctiv. Welcome, Miriam. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Such a pleasure and such an honor also to meeting Susan. <laughs> yes, exactly. Also with us is Susan Campbell, a journalist and distinguished lecturer at the University of New Haven, which is home to our partner station, WNHU. Thanks for being here, Susan. Thank you. And Miriam, the feeling is mutual. So I want to start out to kind of help out our international listeners, because the talk about abortion rights in the U.S. can be quite confusing, um, because (laughs) to say the least, right, Susan? So um, I think it's confusing also for people who are in the U.S. with all the nuances and the legislation and court challenges and wait, there's Roe v. Wade, but then why is it being challenged state to state? Can you do us a a favor here and explain the significance of the 1973 Roe v. Wade and why this is such a big deal if it's to be overturned as this leaked um, court draft um, indicates it might be. 
It's completely confusing. And for anyone who was surprised at the leaked opinion, they probably weren't paying attention. Now, overturning Roe v. Wade has been the goal of conser- certain conservatives since Roe v. Wade was decided. And that said that abortion is legal in the United States with some caveats that states could step in and say, yes, but not after this time or not after this time. If you've been paying attention, there have been all kinds of steps being taken by various states with conservative leadership to shrink the window that a woman has or someone who is pregnant has to get an abortion. There are 13 or 14 states right now with what are called trigger laws so that if, as expected, Roe v. Wade is overturned by this Justice Alito-written opinion, then immediately abortion will be illegal in those states. It is a discussion that has gone back since the beginning of the country, states' rights over federal rights. In this particular case, it shows just how odd it is to let states make those decisions because your ability as a pregnant person to get an abortion will very much depend on your zip code, on where you live. Um, I'm in Connecticut, and Connecticut legislators 20-plus years ago codified Roe v. Wade in our state laws. Anyone who's pregnant in Connecticut can get an abortion. And recently, the legislators passed a bill, and the governor signed into law to say, If someone in Connecticut helps someone from somewhere else to get an abortion, they cannot be prosecuted because states like Texas seem to believe that they can cross the state line and prosecute people who help people get an abortion, which that's a new definition of states' rights, but we can argue about that later. But that boiled down is is, it should not be this complicated, but it has been rendered thus. Miriam, I want to ask, what's your reaction to the U.S. discussion on Roe versus Wade? How do you think it's received in Germany? I think the majority of people are really shocked that this happens in the U.S., but I I think also we also have an anti-abortion movement in Germany, and I think people from the anti-abortion movement actually applaud the leaked draft and hope that there will also be a rollback in Germany and other European countries. Yeah, it's interesting because when I talk to some friends in the U.S. or people who are pro-abortion rights, they'll be like, you know what, maybe I'll just run away to Europe then. But then you have to explain Europe's not so much better. (laughs) Um, Miriam, can you explain what the state of affairs is in Germany as it relates to abortion? So actually, abortion in Germany is a criminal offence. It is regulated in the criminal code and in general it is forbidden. Only under certain circumstances, it is not seen as a felony or it is not punished. For instance, uh, when the life of a pregnant person is in danger or the pregnancy is the result of a rape, then an abortion is not considered a felony. If these circumstances do not apply, uh, getting an abortion is considered still a crime but it is still possible without penalty if certain conditions are met. So the pregnant person must attend a mandatory counseling session at a state-approved center. There you get a certificate. Afterwards, you have to wait for at least three days. Then you can get an abortion, but the abortion also must be performed by a doctor, and it also must be within the first 12 weeks of the pregnancy. Susan, hearing this, did you know that? Did you have a sense of the rules in Germany? 
No, I, like everyone else, thought Europe was way ahead of us on everything. So, <laughs> um, I really did think it was um, that abortion was much more accessible. I don't know how it is in Germany, but in the states that are talking about, oh, good, we're going to overturn Roe v. Wade, there's also discussions in some of those states about restricting contraceptives. So you want to take away the ability to stop a pregnancy and take away birth control. These two things do not go well together. Make me feel better about Germany again. Is birth control accessible to anyone who wants it in Germany? So it is accessible, but in general, it doesn't get covered by health insurance. So that's a bit, big topic. So if, if you earn less than a certain amount of money, you can apply for coverage. But yeah, for many people, it's quite expensive. I'm interested as far as, and forgive my ignorance, how much of the discussion around abortion in Germany centers around privacy? I think it's not on the privacy level, actually, the discussion. I think in, in Germany, there are two big debates right now concerning abortion. The first is that it is still criminalized because this results in a huge stigma, in a huge taboo, and also is a reason because When it's a crime to have an abortion, how can this be covered by health insurance, for example? That's one big discussion point. The other one is this special weird law we have in Germany. Um, it's uh, section 219A from the criminal code. And it forbids doctors to inform, for example, on their websites about the methods and the costs of an abortion. And this leads to huge problems for people who are seeking to have an abortion to find even basic information, to find out um, what are the different methods, how long will it take, um, where is the doctor uh, who's performing abortions. And on the other hand, there's no regulation for anti-abortion movement people <laughs> to just spread fake news about abortion. So when you type in in a search engine uh, abortion in Germany, the first results you get are from these anti-abortion activists. And it's like really, really traumatizing and irritating for the people who want to have an abortion and that they can't find trustful information. But only information <laughs> from anti-abortion activists to tell the people that they are murderers if they have an abortion. And yeah, so that's like a real, real problem. And also the doctors get fined if they inform nevertheless and have to go to court. I just want to add what Miriam is referring to, paragraph 219a, that is translated as, quote, advertising abortion. But when you realize what constitutes as an advertisement, that is essentially a doctor saying on their website that they provide abortion as one of their services. But Germany's ruling coalition government pledged to scrap this part of the law, paragraph 219a. Miriam, how close is that to actually happening? Because there was this draft bill. Where are we with that now? I think it's really close, actually. So it already got introduced to the Bundestag, and I think it will be passed like in the next couple of weeks. Um, so probably, finally, doctors in Germany will be able to inform about abortions and the methods and the costs on their websites. <laughs> so, yeah. It's interesting what you said about misinformation, though. We've had that forever. Um, for the longest time, if you searched abortion long-term effects, immediately you got false information that if you get an abortion, you're, you, the probability of you developing breast cancer is quite high. 
There, there is no science behind that whatsoever. We also have had, not so much in Connecticut, um, they're called birthing centers, and supposedly they're there to counsel women who are pregnant who perhaps don't want to be. But what they're there to do is to encourage the people to carry full term and then adopt, which for some pregnant people, that is really not the best option. But they're brought in and then manipulated, basically, and lied to um, and called murderer in order that that pregnancy go full term. So we have that a lot. And it's it's very difficult in the United States because we, we cling to the idea of freedom of speech. And I think with information not just in this realm, um, we may have to start thinking about what that means when you can circulate misinformation so freely and so many people who are not media literate or not able to discern truth from fact go with misinformation as fact. It's everywhere, I guess. Miriam, you recently worked on a report about the number of doctors that can actually perform abortions, that actually know how to do this in Germany. Can you talk about those numbers and what you saw? Yeah, so I think it's a bit different. It's not like knowing how to do it, but actually performing. So that's that's quite quite a difference. And yeah, I have to say we only looked at the public hospitals in Germany with the gynecology department. So not all hospitals. Um, yeah, so we asked uh, about all 310 public hospitals with the gynecology department. And I think less than 40% of them answered that they perform abortions in cases when there's no medical necessity and the pregnancy is not a result of rape. So I think that's quite a little number. Susan, I want to return to the U.S. and where you live in Connecticut, because Connecticut, uh, which has some of the least restrictive laws on abortion in the country, um, Connecticut could be a very important state in the coming months. Can you talk about the dynamic of the people who say, you know, oh, it doesn't matter so much if abortion is outlawed in some states because those people who say they need abortions can just move or they can just travel to states where it is allowed. Now, obviously, that's a fallacy, but maybe you could speak as to why this argument is problematic. It's problematic on several levels. I'm from Missouri, which is a now a very conservative state with some of the mo- more draconian abortion restrictions, and they are chomping at the bit, the state legislators, not all of them, but a majority of them, to make it even more difficult for a person to get an abortion. I mentioned Texas earlier, and I, I shouldn't laugh, but it is just so ignorant to me that one group of state legislators believe they can dictate behavior in another state. But that does have a quelling effect on people who might be seeking abortions in that they, generally the laws aren't aimed at the person getting an abortion, but they don't want to implicate someone else. And it also presumes that, oh, I can just hop on a plane and go from Missouri to Connecticut, which assumes you have the resources to do that. And many people don't. So this particular overturning of a Supreme Court decision, as always, affects people who live in poverty more than people who have the resources to travel, to go get on a plane and go have this taken care of. I I think if, if, if people aren't understanding that this is another slight, another taking of a human right from people who aren't living in a privileged world, 
um, then they're not paying attention. This will adamantly affect the people who are already pretty vulnerable. Miriam, you and your colleagues at Correctiv conducted an investigation into barriers to abortion in Germany. You surveyed more than 1,500 people who sought out abortions. What stuck with you from that reporting? For me, it was like really, really shocking to hear how bad medical care seems to be when it comes to abortions. I think nearly one in four participants reported bad medical care. For example, that the abortion was not successful or that they experienced weeks-long heavy bleeding or that that they got uh, serious infections of the whole uterus. And yeah, and the other point that really shocked me was that nearly as many people reported that um, they experienced really unprofessional behavior um, from the medical staff so that they got insulted, that they were pressured to uh, continue the pregnancy, that they were denied uh, pain medication. So this was like really, really shocking for me. I hadn't expected that. Susan, as we await an official Supreme Court decision to determine the future of Roe v. Wade, you've talked about One, how the country should learn from Connecticut's grim history on abortion, and two, how the state could potentially be a leader. Can you talk more about that? And also, do you think that there's potential for Roe v. Wade to be codified in nationwide law before this expected Supreme Court ruling? I don't know. I do think that they have here awakened a beast um, that crosses party lines. This isn't just you know, liberal bomb throwers like myself. This crosses the party line into Republicans, into independents, into green, you name it. Um, I do believe that it will be codified into law. I do wish that other states would look at Connecticut for how we've done it. And if it's a little progressive for them, then at least consider that the people who can get pregnant who live within your state boundaries deserve this basic right to make this decision about their bodies. And I, I think to do otherwise walks us very close into a theocracy, which nobody wants, uh, including I think the people who would say they do want uh, church and state to be commingled or faith groups and state to be commingled. I don't think they want that. Um, I think a lot of them would find themselves afoul of laws if we did go full bore Handmaid's Tale. Susan Campbell is a journalist and distinguished lecturer at the University of New Haven, and Miriam Lentz is an investigative reporter for the nonprofit Corktiv in Berlin. Thank you so much to both of you for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Tearing down walls. Our transatlantic show on sunshine life. Now, this is a great time of uncertainty for many people, but most definitely for doctors who provide abortions across the U.S. The pending Supreme Court ruling has raised questions not only about the future of abortions, but also about the future of access to birth control and other facets of reproductive care. Joining me now is Dr. Sarah Gutman. She is an obstetrician-gynecologist and complex family planning fellow in Pennsylvania. Welcome to Tearing Down Walls. Thank you so much for having me. So let's start off with your medical training. How is abortion care taught in medical school? Do you find that there is a stigma or taboo attached? What was your experience? Yeah, it, the experience, it, it varies really widely depending on where you are in the country and where your medical training takes place. 
Um, I felt very lucky that I got my medical training in New York, which is a state that really protects abortion rights and, and access to abortion just treats it like any other aspect of medical training. But it is certainly something you need to seek out. And where you're based now in the state of Pennsylvania, abortion is legal up to 24 weeks and beyond that under certain exceptions. But the governor, who is a Democrat, is nearing the end of his term limit. Um, And Pennsylvania is a purple state, which for international listeners means it's really split between people voting for Democrats and Republicans. The Democratic nominee has said he would veto any anti-abortion bills, but the Republican nominee wants to put major restrictions on abortion. So if the Republican nominee is successful, and nationwide if Roe v. Wade is overturned, how do you expect your daily work will be impacted? My hope is that Pennsylvanians would come together and continue to protect abortion rights and keep it legal here in Pennsylvania. Um, In that case, I think we will see a lot of patients traveling to our state from other states nearby that have banned abortion. Um, And I think that our clinics are just going to have to be prepared for that volume. And we're going to have to think hard about how we best serve those patients. Um, I think in the really horrifying scenario in which abortion does not stay legal in Pennsylvania, we need to have plans for referral for where we can get those patients for how we can take care of them, um, building networks to understand where those people can go. Um, So I think that either way, (laughs) there's going to be a lot of work for people providing abortions in the next couple of months. What sparked your passion for reproductive rights and justice in, in the first place? Yeah, I had a little bit of a I guess, a convoluted road to medical school where I um, was always interested in medicine, but actually first went through the public health route. So I did a a master's in public health and was really um, interested in reproductive health, both in the United States and internationally. And I think through that, I realized that the women that I was seeing and the people who can get pregnant that I was seeing that don't have access to abortion care, to contraception, to the ability to plan when and if they want to have families, it just changes their entire life and their whole uh, agency. And it just, it, it was such a profound experience to see what happens when somebody is forced to carry a pregnancy, um, when somebody doesn't feel like they have any ownership over how they build their family. Uh, And then as through that work, I realized that I I wanted to be able to be more clinical and hands-on and actually directly provide that care. So went back into medical school and have been sort of on this path ever since. Now, a lot of OBGYNs who provide abortions will tell you that this is not the only or even the biggest part necessarily of what they do. There is so much more to reproductive health. But these laws could restrict, for example, the necessary care when it comes to miscarriages or when a pregnancy is non-viable. So what's going through your head? Because I'm I'm sure you're thinking way beyond the headlines. You're thinking about, you know, how am I going to do my job when politics gets in the way? Yeah, as an OBGYN, I think my job is one of such privilege. I love that I can see a patient who is newly pregnant. I love when I can help that patient have a healthy pregnancy and deliver a healthy baby. I get so much satisfaction out of that. But it's I also get so much satisfaction after seeing a patient who's pregnant who does not want to be pregnant and helping them achieve that goal. I think my job is to support the patient with whatever they need. Um, And I I spend a lot of time in my current position taking care of patients who have early pregnancy losses or miscarriages. And the options that we offer them for a miscarriage are the exact same options that we offer somebody who needs to end a pregnancy for other reasons. 
um, same medication, same procedures. So I definitely worry that restricting uh, access to abortion care is going to reduce the amount of providers who are trained in those options. And it's just going to create this environment of stigma where a patient who has a a miscarriage can't access those same medications that they uh, may feel uncomfortable asking for if a person is a prostol, that they might worry what their neighbors are going to say or their friends or how they could be criminalized, um, both for abortion care and for miscarriage care. So I think that's a real issue. Dr. Sarah Gutman is an OBGYN and Complex Family Planning Fellow in Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much. I appreciate you speaking with me. Tearing Down Walls, a Sunshine Life podcast. Joining me now is American filmmaker Leah Gallant. She is the co-director of the award-winning documentary On the Divide, and she's currently on a Fulbright grant here in Berlin, and she's a friend of mine. (laughs) Welcome, Leah. Hi, Sylvia. Thanks for having me on the show today. Yeah, it's great to have you. So your film, On the Divide, made its world premiere at the 2021 Tribeca Film Festival. It centers on McAllen, Texas, which is home to the last abortion clinic on the U.S.-Mexico border. You and your co-director, Maya Cueva, have talked about wanting to create a film that reached outside of the echo chambers, which is hard to do with such a contentious issue like this. Can you talk a little bit about your approach? We wanted to create a story that was centered around people who aren't normally... Um, centered in this abortion debate. Um, It's usually very polarizing and usually it's in a political sphere and there's a lot of talking head experts, but we wanted to share something that was more focused on people's lives and how lack of choice reverberates in a community and outside of the clinic walls. So that's why we decided to follow three people, Ray, Mercedes, and Denise, who are all connected to this last abortion clinic, but have very different um, they have differing views on a number of things, but ultimately what they have in common is that lack of choice affects them in a, in a negative way. In On the Divide, religion is so present, um, but not just on the side of anti-abortion activists, which I think we're used to seeing from a lot of reporting. Religion is important to protagonists on both sides of this issue. Did you know from the beginning that it was going to play such a big role in the film? What we found surprising about the role of religion was through the story of Ray, who is a security guard outside the abortion clinic. And for his whole life, Ray, who is now a 66-year-old Latino man, he was in church as a little boy his whole life. And when he started working at the abortion clinic as a security guard, the church kicked him out. And it was right across the street from the abortion clinic. So not only was he kicked out, um, but the people in his church would come and be protesters outside the abortion clinic. So he basically was alienated from his religious community. And what he feels is that, you know, he's still a very proud Catholic man. And he goes to his own shrine, his own religious center, because he can't go to the church. So, you know, in so many ways, Ray keeps going and wants to be part of the work at the clinic because of his faith, not despite his faith. You were first following the story of McAllen, Texas, after learning about the restrictive laws enacted in the state in 2013-2014. But you were finished filming, I believe, before Texas's governor signed a bill into law in 2021 that bans abortion after about six weeks. What have you heard from people on the ground now that the laws there have gotten even more restrictive? 
everyone that we've been working with along with our impact campaign, all of the organizations, especially those in Texas and the Rio Grande Valley, have been living in a post-Roe reality for a very long time. Abortion has been legal in the state of Texas, but because of lack of access and the lack of clinics and also compounded with issues like immigration, a lot of people aren't able to access abortion. The expenses, it's not covered by Medicare. So uh, we're hoping that even if Roe v. Wade falls, that these communities, especially in McAllen, are the ones that are centered in these conversations because they have been working with their communities to provide reproductive care and services, even despite it being limited already. Leah Gallant is a filmmaker currently on a Fulbright grant here in Berlin, where she's working on a film about memorialization culture. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, and it was a pleasure. And you can find out more about On the Divide and upcoming screenings by going to onthedividemovie.com. Tearing Down Walls is a co-production of Sunshine Live and WNHU at the University of New Haven. I'm Sylvia Cunningham. This show is produced and edited by me and Monica Miller-Kroll. You can contact us at tdw at sunshine-live.de. We come out with a new episode every month. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.